This morning from every corner of the globe, the call and response rings out, which we share in this morning. Christ is risen. He is risen Christ is risen. He is risen Christ is risen. He is risen Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy the day of our Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We pray all these things. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to, to John chapter 20, if you would so like to follow along the text that was just read for us. We've been walking through John's Gospel. And we come to the, the, uh, near the end of that book now. Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, was raised in glory. He appeared to many, and he ascended to rule forevermore. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ this day, the first fruits of our resurrection, and not ours only, but the first fruits of a, a new creation raised in him, a new humanity raised in him, who is the new temple, receiving worshipers of Christ from every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue. A glorious picture of this resurrection life was uh, given to John as he recorded in his, another of his writings, the book of Revelation. He received a, a heavenly vision. And in his vision, he sees a, a great white throne, and upon it sits light himself, power, authority, the Alpha, the Omega. He is raising the dead who will then sit before him in judgment. And in that vision, there's a loud voice that thunders forth saying, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new new. That one seated on the throne is the one whom we celebrate this day, the risen to reign Jesus Christ. So we hold that glorious image that John gives us as we read the end of John's gospel in chapter 20. We approach this empty tomb, which is the beginning of God making all things new through Jesus Christ. What echoes in our minds and ears this day is this, Behold, God is making all things new. Which means that if we're going to begin anew, we are going to complete something. And what finishes here, what ends here, is the, a week's worth of sin so that a new day can rise in which a new creation springs forth. This is the day of resurrection. And we begin, of course, on the first day. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This is, we come to the first day. John is reminding us that there's something new happening here. There's a new week, a new creation. If you can think back to the beginning of John's gospel, he ushers us back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning... That's how he starts it out. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, speaking all things into existence from darkness and void. The Word was with God in the beginning. The Word was 
God. And that word, John tells us, took on flesh. And we behold, or do we behold? Do we behold his glory? Here at the tomb, we have the first day of a new week. And John hints this is the first day of a new creation. As Mary peers in, what she sees is darkness that is absent of all life at this tomb. Mary Magdalene finds formlessness and void where her Savior once lay cold, quiet, dead. Word became silence, light was dark. But do not fear, this is the first day. Chapter 20, verse 2 goes on. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Down to verse 11, we read this of Mary. When she returns to the tomb, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. John's reminding us here there's a need for resurrection life. Not only are we at a tomb but not all the hurts of creation are cured yet. Resurrection life does not cure every hurt in this life, nor does it dry every tear. Even on the morning of this new day, Mary remains uncertain, full of fear, deep in grief. There's pain still from her lingering at the foot of the cross, still poignant and persistent. And it meets now with anxiety that her beloved has been taken from her. This passage, if we had eyes to see it, would remind us of the song of Solomon where the bride is looking for her bridegroom, saying this, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The, the watchman found me. Have you seen him? Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Mary looks. Where? Where have they taken him? This passage also reminds us of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. It echoes of that resurrection where even though Jesus knows the glorious outcome of what is about to take place, what is his posture? What is he doing? He stands at the tomb and he weeps. Mary fears. Mary weeps. And maybe... Just maybe she even dares to hope. She has reason to hope, despite the uncertainty now. She lingers here at the open void, weeping. But before we return her to the scene of this empty tomb, we must go back and see where she races to Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. We find out this disciple whom he loved is who but John, our author. Chapter 20 the end of verse 2, she asked, they say, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Nice detail, John. That's good. A lot of running here, isn't there? Who won the foot race? Just for all posterity's sake, just know John is faster than Peter. Peter might out-talk John. But John can win the foot race. John arrives first to this tomb. He looks in and he, he just patiently waits. Peter arrives on the scene and he goes right through the finishing line and enters the tomb, bursting in, verse 5. Stooping to look in, 
He, that's the disciple Jesus loved, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lined with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. This is quite the perplexing scene. Not only is the body missing, but who would take the body but before taking the body, would unwrap all of the cloths and just leave them there? Or who would then, you know, remove the face cloth and, and fold it up neatly in another place? Contemplative John maybe begins to hear echoes in his mind or his ears of Jesus' teaching earlier, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. Maybe he heard echoes of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Could it be? Is he possibly not taken, but is he possibly alive? Verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John confesses here that they understood little of what was happening at the tomb. It gives us great hope when we don't understand a lot of what's going on as well. It's a good summary of most of our lives, trying to understand God's mysterious ways, piecing together season and circumstance to puzzle a portrait of our lives. Who can know the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We tend to approach life with the certainty of Proverbs scaffolding, scaffolding, and yet we end our days with Job's humble posture saying, we know that you can do all things for our eyes now see you. John did not see Jesus, and yet he saw and believed. Now, we don't behold with our eyes Jesus in the flesh, nor this empty tomb, but we see the risen Jesus as clearly as John did at that moment. John has been writing this whole letter so that we might believe. We gather this morning and on given Sundays as those who believe, though our understanding like John's and Peter's often remains clouded and our eyes remain unseeing. Because what we are believing in is, is more than the hope that one man was at one point raised from the dead, and even that our hope for resurrection is rooted in this, that one day there will be a full harvest of resurrection. But our hope lies in the fact that, that he is the beginning, the first fruits of resurrection life, not only for us, but for all of creation. All things is in that vision. Behold, I am making all things new. And John is reminding us of this with his opening phrase here, the first day of the week, that Jesus is the source of a new creation. Out of void and darkness springs new flesh, new humanity. See, the earth quaked at his death and now gives birth to glorious resurrection life. From the womb of the cold, dark tomb, bursts forth the word made flesh. As Paul writes, the whole creation has been groaning in sin. All humanity is groaning. But in Jesus' resurrection, creation itself will be set free. Creation itself will obtain freedom 
in the children of God raised in Jesus Christ. Easter is indeed celebration. We come together in, in joy because all of creation will be raised new. Share in the resurrection of Jesus and his body which means that Jesus is indeed raising us new, that he is creating a new humanity in his own image as well. Look at uh, verse 11 of our chapter. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. Down to verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. It's another garden scene, isn't it? John has taken us back again to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Mary identifying Jesus as the gardener is not a mistake. See, we have the woman searching for her bridegroom who will nurture and protect her, who will nurture and protect the garden as well. She is an Eve searching for a missing Adam here. John has ushered us back to the garden where he's already echoing the days of creation. And he walks us through the garden to meet another Eve and to meet the second Adam, the final resurrected Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And in so doing, John is painting the portrait of a new humanity raised in Jesus Christ. Now, Mary Magdalene is mentioned here, and we know very little about her except that Jesus had cast out a number of demons from her earlier in his ministry, and that she had served him faithfully throughout his life on this earth. Having raised her once from that demonic oppression, Jesus raises her again here from her sorrow, from her grief, and is creating her new in his image. See, I think Mary Magdalene here is a representation of humanity. She is another Eve. She is uh, from the rib of the risen Christ, raised to new life, as all in Christ will one day be. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. The solidarity of Jesus in resurrection life, he is calling her to the same Father, to the same God to share as he is one with the Father and the Spirit, so then she would be one with him, Father, Son, Spirit as well. Now, the other gospel accounts have others present besides Mary Magdalene, but I don't wonder if, if John only mentions her here as a representative, as resurrected humanity, as a picture of what resurrection community is. See, Mary was once raised from demonic oppression, and now she is raised again, but she's raised to a new vocation. Jesus has his apostles who have followed him, learned from him, for years now. And yet Jesus calls and commissions Mary to be an apostle to Jesus' apostles. Mary is the first to greet him, to meet him, to welcome, to worship him. What disciples had no eyes to see is revealed to Mary here, and he gives her the vocation to be the apostle to the apostles. 
to share the good news that Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus brings her comfort in the garden, but he also brings her a mission. See, raised from demonic oppression, she loved and served Jesus. Now, raised with Christ in his resurrection, she worships and speaks. She becomes his word to his body. She bears witness of his glory to a watching world. See, each gospel records various uh, resurrection uh, appearances of Jesus, and they're all showing them a little bit differently. But they all show that when, they appear, when Jesus appears to them, they are raised in him. They ascend to new glory in him. All who worship and serve the resurrected Jesus are called to bear witness to the world and to live according to his spirit. She doesn't recognize Jesus until he speaks her name. And he calls her by name and she sees him for who he is. And then he says this to her, do not cling to me. It's not to push her away. It is to shape her for dependence upon his Holy Spirit, whom Jesus will send in his ascended absence. We, the body of Christ, therefore, as new humanity, we are spirit-formed creatures, imaging the risen Jesus to a world dead in sin and reeling from death's sting. But we ourselves do not despair, even in our uncertainty and lack of understanding. See, we love Christ, we serve Christ, we give ourselves for the good of his church throughout the world, for the life of the world. And the only hope for us, for all humanity, re resides in Jesus, risen from the dead, who is the new temple, just as he said, would be destroyed, and in three days he would raise it again as a new temple. And where do we see that in John's gospel? Look at chapter 20, end of verse 11 and following. She wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and Mary saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? What she peers into is a new sanctuary. See, the Garden of Eden was the first sanctuary where God dwelt with man. And then what you had was an imitation of that at Mount Sinai. Uh, in the tabernacle, that was a new garden. The temple was a new glorified garden as well. Where John brings us to at the end of his gospel is a new humanity entering a new garden, which is a new temple sanctuary where God dwells with man in peace, in the joy of holy communion. The story of resurrection is one of turning everything evil into good once and for all. See, the empty, dark tomb itself has been transformed into sanctuary, into the most holy place of the garden temple. See, Eve, remember, she entered the garden in the cool of the day with fallen Adam, but sin and death already severed relationship, diminished life, exiled humanity from the sanctuary. And now we find another Eve. We find a Mary here at Satan's stronghold. Mary peers into the face of death, and what does she find? She doesn't find a temple curtain blocking the way or angels with flaming sword preventing her from entering in. 
What she sees is a cold slab, which would be similar of the representation of the Ark of the Covenant upon which God was laid, where Christ was laid. The Ark of the Covenant is where God would sit enthroned. And at the head and the foot of the Ark were two seraphim, two angels. And we see the same thing represented here in the tomb. When Mary looks in, what she sees is a representation of the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the garden sanctuary of God's temple. But what she finds is no longer death, but the darkness now is flooded with light as life conquers death. In that holiest sanctuary, God speaks through messengers. The seraphim speak his words. The angels, why are you weeping? Well, we know why she's weeping. They know why she's weeping. Why are you weeping is an exhortation. It's a command. There's no more death here. This is no longer tomb. What once swallowed up light and life has been turned into a doorway to God because the one who was destroyed and laid here as the true and final sacrifice, well, he now lives. Have no fear, Mary. The tomb has become womb, for the old temple was destroyed, but the new temple lives. And you, Mary, and all who follow your witness, you are all living stones to be built up into the living temple of Jesus Christ, filled up to the overflow with his spirit to saturate the life of the world. And Mary obeys. Look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. It's a great summary. I have seen the Lord. What? Tell us about it. Oh, I've seen the Lord, and he talks about, she talks about what he's said. That's it. That's the message that changes the whole world. I have seen the Lord of all the powerful people throughout history who could have been the first to announce this. God has chosen Mary Magdalene to be his apostle to the apostles. And her obedience, simple, her simple testimony, it models the word of the new humanity. We have seen the Lord. He is risen and he reigns forevermore. By God's grace and in the power of Christ's resurrection, we are that new humanity which Mary shows forth for us. For we too have been in bondage to sin. We too have lived under the tyranny of Satan's demonic oppression, the ruler of this world. We too have known doubt and fear, anxiety of holy absence. We walk our days in uncertainty. We gingerly dance our steps, fearing darkness and harm. And perhaps we direct our days confidently like Peter, just bursting in. I've seen the Lord. Come and follow us. Come and follow him. I'll show you the way. Or perhaps we linger in Christ's presence a little longer, wait patiently in his absence even. We try to rest in his infinite love of Christ's infinite glory. We want to ever draw closer to him, and so we wait, and then we respond in tender love. We echo the bride of the Song of Solomon, where he says, my beloved speaks, and he says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away, for behold, winter is past, the rain is over and gone. We are the bride of Christ, and our risen Savior speaks to us. Arise, my love. 
Winter is past. The rain is gone. It is over. Or perhaps we bear witness as Mary Magdalene, riddled with fear, feeling scars of past hurts and disappointments, not trusting our eyes or understanding our circumstances, yet we respond to the one who raises us, trusting him to raise us still. It is true. It must be true. See, we are the resurrection community of Jesus Christ, sharing the resurrection life of our Lord and Savior. We have seen the Lord, for he lives, and we now live in him. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us yourself through Jesus Christ, raised from the dead and giving us life now and forever more. It is in joy that we gather to remember this, the resurrection of our Savior. Would you bless us now, strengthen us in your word, that we might bear witness to this resurrection life now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.